Turn with me, <coughs> turn with me if you would, to Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. This is a chapter we're not unfamiliar with, of course. We want to talk today about just what the sign says there. Jesus, the resurrection, and our, li our life in victory. And of course, that phrase may sound a little confusing if you first try to process it with your mind, but if you process it with your heart, you can grasp it. Just ask yourself the question, am I living a victorious life? Am I in victory? Am I in defeat? Doubt? Unbelief? Jesus, the resurrection, and our life in victory. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Father, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you, and we bless you. We thank you as always for your blessed holy word and the anointing upon it. We thank you for our ears to hear your word, our hearts to receive it, and our minds to be open to the glorious light of your word. We thank you, Father, for utterance in the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth of your word that makes people free. We thank you for spiritual freedom in a free country where we're free to worship, praise, pray, speak, and teach your word without fear of retribution or reprisal. We thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus, which we speak and apply in our lives and the lives of our families, the blood of salvation, healing, preservation, protection, prosperity, perpetuity, power, and peace. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for our salvation. Because we're saved, healed, cured, preserved, kept safe and sound, rescued from danger and destruction, and delivered, You've given us new lives and caused us to have new hearts. We thank you, Father, for all of our salvation and all that it entails. We thank you, Father, that when we speak as Christians, we speak as of the oracles of God. When we minister, we minister with the ability of God. So we thank you for that privilege of being your vessels upon this earth. Now we dedicate this service and our lives to you. We thank you, Father, again, that our faith doesn't stand in man's wisdom, but in your power, the power of the living God. We thank you, Father, that no man teaches us, that your Holy Spirit teaches us. We thank you because of that, that we have revelation, heart knowledge, word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, this being Easter, Resurrection Day, whatever you want to call it, uh, the King James translation of the Bible even uses the, the term Easter one time in Acts, the book of Acts, and it Actually, it it's re replaces Passover, so, you know, it, it it's not a sin to call it Easter because that's what the day it is. I've heard a lot of ministers call it Easter. You can call it Resurrection Day. It is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life, right? And we're going to see that scripture a little later, but we want to talk today about uh, some personal study on the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And of course, it'd be nice if we went over today, if we went over the uh, last week of Jesus' life, all, all the things that go on there, his final hours with his disciples, you, you know, what happened in, in, in the garden, uh, his prayer where he sweat great drops of blood, which is a, a physical possibility, it can happen, uh, his arrest, his trial before Pilate. It, it'd be nice to go over all that stuff today his appearance before Herod. These are all 
fool messages in themselves, his scourging, beating, the crown of thorns, that's a message in and of itself, the, the crucifixion, the burial, the descension, the resurrection, the ascension, all these things we should study as born-again, spirit-filled Christians. And we should do these things in personal study. And we should know as much detail about those as we can because it'll, it'll strengthen your faith. But today we want to talk about the power that raised Jesus from the dead. In this particular text, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, well, that spirit does dwell in you. When you were born again, that spirit began to indwell you. When you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you were full to overflowing of that same spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, and it does quicken, the King James says quicken, but the New King James says give life, quickens your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That right there tells me that because we have mortal bodies on this earth, that he wants us to be whole, he wants us to be well, he wants us to be uh, prosperous, he wants us to have a, a life. Jesus said, I came, you have life, have it more abundantly. He wants us to have abundance in our life in every area of our lives. He doesn't want us to be in bondage. We're here in mortal bodies, and he knows that. Jesus was in a mortal body himself, wasn't he? And that's what he, uh, he suffered in. Of course, he suffered spiritually also. We know, we, most of us believe, I don't know what you believe, that's your business. But most of us believe that without him going and dying spiritually and going, defeating the devil in hell, there would be no sense in it. We could all die on a cross, Somebody could nail us to a cross and we could die in somebody's stead. Jesus did that for us, but he was raised in victory over death, hell, and the grave. And he is our life, our life in victory. So we need to see. If we can grasp what's in this text, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. If we can grasp this, we'll live in, in total victory. It'll be our victory. Now and for eternity. Mortal bodies are now. If you look on down at the rest of this opening in verse 12. It says, Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And thank God Jesus made that possible for us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We have mortal bodies, but we need to live in the Spirit. We have fleshly bodies. And quicken them. Why? Because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and quickens, makes alive our mortal bodies to get the job done here upon this earth. And thank God for it. Or most of us would be dead right now. But we're not debtors to the flesh. To live according to it. If we live according to the flesh, it says we'll die. Now and for eternity, if we grasp that text, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in us, we'll live in total victory. The resurrection in and of itself was the greatest power force ever. Ever. 
Now you think of all the power that's, that you know, can be mustered. You think of uh, H-bombs and A-bombs and all the other, uh, the power that lifts rockets into space and, the, you know, the power that lights up entire cities and, and, you know, just on and on. You can think of all the massive power that we know as natural force power. This was the greatest power force that ever took place. But we need to start acting like it as Christians. You know, a lot of Christians, and I won't say you or me or anybody else, but a lot of Christians act like it's the opposite. You know, that Jesus just let himself be whipped and let himself be beaten, and, you know, he was some kind of a wimpish wuss that couldn't do anything. You know, he had no power at that time because some men took charge of his life. No, no, that's, you know, he, he allowed that, and you know it. We have to understand the power. We have to understand the purpose. He did. He knew it and he operated in it while he was on the earth. And, and, you know, and we'll see some other things here. But to understand the power, the best thing is to look at, I think, is, is one of the best examples of the power, all the power words that you can muster in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, parts of Paul's Ephesians prayers. Ephesian prayers and we pray these all the time you actually can pray these every day for yourself for your family for anybody that, that you want to pray them for these are not prayers of faith that you pray you know I believe I receive uh, Ephesians 1 15 through 23 no these are prayers you can pray every day and stand in prayer Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 Therefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. See he doesn't cease he continues on that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. See we need that. We need that every day of our lives upon this earth. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory, the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought, which he worked in Christ, King James says wrought, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, if you backtrack a little bit, it says he wants us to get the revelation of that power. He expects us, Paul is praying that we get the revelation of that power. He said, I don't cease to make mention of you in my prayers. So he says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The problem is we aren't enlightened to this enough. We have to get into it and understand it and, and operate in this power that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. We can break down all these power words. Some of them are different. But if you just read it for what it is, you can grasp it. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's exceeding greatness of his power. The greatest power force ever. 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And we'll look here in a minute. We're seated right there with him. We're positionally right there with him. You all know that. Far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that's named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Thank God. Thank God. This age and that which is to come. He's talking here as part of the same age, the same dispensation that we're in now. And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church. That's us he's talking about, which is his body. The fullness of him that fills all in all. You know, they have a show out now. There was a guy who was born with no legs and he goes around the country doing certain things. But you can't operate without, with just a head, right? We're the body. Jesus is the head. We're the body. Which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. We were dead. We're now alive. We were sinners. We're now the righteousness of God in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. You know, we, how many people, how many people do you hear? How many Christians do you hear that want you to say that you're a sinner? Please, don't ever confess that you're a sinner. If you're born again, you were a sinner, you have been saved by grace. You are now, it says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's who we are. We were sinners. We have been saved by grace. Thank God. You don't have to go around confessing. That's like people that go through these programs to get off alcohol and drugs have to sit around and look at each other and say, well, I'm an alcoholic. God, did God deliver you from that? Well, yeah. Well, then you're not. We have to understand the power. There's more to it. There's more. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Like I said, we were dead. We're now alive. It says, you, you, y'all, yuns, whatever part of the country you come from, and you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you see, most of your Bibles will see he made alive in italics. That means that wasn't in original manuscripts. And you, if you take that out, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were. As soon as you reach the age of accountability. No, it's not seven years old. It's not five. It's not 12. It's not 18. It's whenever you realize that you can sin. When you reach that, you were dead in trespasses and sin. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience but you don't now, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. For God so loved the world, right? Well, for God, you know, God stretched out his love. By, for God so loved the world, it says he gave, gave Jesus, right? His only son. He's rich in mercy with his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Obviously, when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was not physically anywhere but here on this earth, the same planet we're on right now, right? So we're positionally right there, just as he said he was, and, and you know he's telling them they, were, they are. He said, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Thank God. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like I said, there's, there's more to this. We have to understand, workmanship there, you know, and I like this because, it, you know, we, we think we're his workmanship. Well, he made us, you know, like we could make a, a set of shelves, a bookshelf, or we could make a, a salad or something like that. Well, here's what the word workmanship means. It's poieme in the Greek, Strong's 4161, from the ver verb poie to make. Uh, compare poem and poetry. Now, that's a little different stance, isn't it? The word signifies that which is manufactured, a product, a design produced by an artisan. Poema emphasizes God is the master designer, the universe is his creation, and the redeemed believer as his new creation. Before conversion, our lives had no rhyme or reason. Conversion brought us balance, symmetry, and order. We are God's poem, his work of art. And if you look at it that way, everyone is different, right? We're his poem, his work of art. He's an artisan. He's put us together. Jesus' finished work crafted us as God's poem to live our lives in victory. And we've got to grasp this. We've got to. And we have to understand the power that's available to us. I like one thing Brother Copeland said one time. Kind of, kind of made me laugh because I could picture myself doing the same thing. He said, uh, he asked the Lord one time, why, you know, why uh, does our power seem limited? You know, as opposed to Jesus walking in all that power and what he did. And the Lord told him, he said, because you'd get on the freeway and get behind somebody slow and blow them right off the road. And I was thinking the same thing, you know. 
think the way some people pull out in front of you and the way they drive and some of them drive slow and some of them will pass you in a no passing zone and put your life and theirs in danger and, and you want to just you want to get them and, and uh, operate in road rage for a minute you know and just let them know how you feel but you don't do that but I can see what he's saying we have to understand and grasp this power and how to operate it. Jesus operated in this power when he walked the earth. He was known for it. He had to be. Three years, right? Three years of his ministry, he healed the sick, cleansed lepers, cast out demons, raised the dead, walked on water, turned water into wine, multiplied loaves and fishes, Yeah, but that was Jesus. Yeah, it was. Look at John chapter 21, verse 25. Look at, see, this is the last verse of the book of John. And there also are many other things Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And, and we have a small sampling here, but... You know, and you think, boy, that, that's something. You know, the Lord did that, and he, you know, he couldn't contain all the books written. And what did he, you know, we've, we've got a little fingertip of that power. You know, we have a, a measure. You know, Jesus operated in the Spirit without measure. We have just, we have a measure of the Holy Spirit. If we can get a microscope, we can see it. Now, what did he tell us? He, he said, he said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the works that I do will you do also, and greater works, because I'm going on to my Father. Greater than what he did? Not greater in, you know, in all the things that he did. He operated in that power constantly. Greater in number, because there's more of us that should be functioning as a body of Christ, and, and we, our ministry should be longer than the three years that he walked the earth, Right? Greater works, he said. Well, they, they knew his power, didn't they? If you've ever studied it out, we've, we've talked about it in here before. They, they sent, you know, to, just to take him, they sent between three and 600 soldiers plus the temple police. If you study the words, if you see the words that are used in... in uh, it's John chapter 18, and we won't look at it. John 18 and verse 3 and Mark 14, 43. It talks about who came. It was a cohort of soldiers, which was between three and 600 people, and the temple police to take Jesus. Now they evidently had heard of his power. And he healed the, the uh, chief priest, servant right there after Peter cut his ear off. You know, Malchus, we know that story. That's another one we should study out. Keith Moore does an excellent teaching on that. Sometime you, These are things that we need to study and understand getting our heart, but you know, 600 men plus the temple police with swords and staves, Mark said. Swords and staves. Deadly weapons to take Jesus because he operated in that power and he knew the power. 
I mean, you just don't go around healing people and casting out devils, raising people from the dead and feeding thousands of people with a few loaves and fish and turning water into wine without making a little reputation for yourself, right? I mean, he had, what, what do you think they wanted to get rid of him for? They were just pawns, of course, in, in the, you know, the whole thing, but he operated in the power. And to top it off, look at Matthew chapter 26. He said it himself. Suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he'll provide with me more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Twelve legions. We've determined that a legion is six thousand. Twelve times that's 72,000, right? All you math whizzes, help me out. 72,000 angels at his disposal. He said more than 12 legions of angels. Back. More than 12 legions of angels. So it's probably more than 72,000 angels. So what? You know, angels are little cherubs, aren't they? With little wings that fly around and like, you know, come and shoot hearts on, shoot arrows on Valentine's Day through people's hearts and things like that. Isn't that what an angel is? Well, there are cherubim and seraphim. We see that in the book of Revelation. But this is not who, Jesus is not going to call a bunch of cherubim and these little, little guys to do. He's going to have angels that are going to do the job. Here's an example of one. One angel, Isaiah chapter 37 Verse 36, Then the angel of the Lord went out, it doesn't say angels, and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people rose in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. Usually a corpse is dead, right? Well, that, those were dead. 185,000 killed by one angel. And, and 72,000 could do a little more damage than that, don't you think? And Jesus said he had that at his disposal. So he wasn't this wimpish wuss that somebody had, you know, led away. You know, he said, oh, let me get my uh, hair gel and my makeup put it on before you take me. I want to look nice if I'm going to be scourged and beaten. No, he wasn't that. He operated in power. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. This is the, the other end of Paul's Ephesians prayers. He says, for this reason, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, full number, full complement, full measure, copiousness, plenitude, that which has been completed, all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, exceedingly 
abundantly above. He used three things to describe. He's going to do exceedingly, he can do, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in the electric company, according to the power that works in the hydrogen and atom bombs, according to the power that works in all uh, the whole world and all the electric facilities and all the nuclear facilities. No, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. According to the power that works in us. That's us. We. That be us. Power works in us. We've got to grasp it. We've got to act like it. Jesus is the resurrection and our life in victory. Look at John chapter 11. And we'll begin to close with this. John chapter 11 and verse 17. You want to celebrate the resurrection? Celebrate his power. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Who is he talking about, of course? Lazarus, right? Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary uh, to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she said, well, I know that. Uh, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the earth. Thank God. Thank God. He always brings the victory. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, says that. says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Well, that's not all. That always doesn't mean always. That's just, you know, when he feels like it or when it's his will. No, it says he always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through us. There's that word us again. Does that include all of us? It certainly does. Male us's, female us's, everyone. He always brings the victory. And we're brought near by the blood. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2 again. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, Look at this. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near. We're brought near by the blood. It's up to us to grasp this and to live in this victory. 
Yeah, but I don't know how to do it. Well, read the instruction manual. Study it. Find it. It's in there. Get around people of like precious faith. People that have studied the word, know the word. It's up to us to grasp it and live in victory. Don't hang around the cross. Hang around the risen Christ. We'll close with this scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. First Corinthians chapter 15. This is particularly moving scripture. And it needs to move us sometimes to understand the power. Now this, I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in an atomic moment, for in, in a, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and will be changed. It says we shall be changed. That's the strongest assertive word in, in this manuscript. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. Remember what we saw in Romans chapter 8? If you live in the flesh, you die. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Ha! O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate today. Victory. Our life in victory. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank God his word doesn't return void. Your labor is never in vain when you're working for him. And that power is there for us. Grasp it. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, quickening your mortal bodies. The power that works in us. He'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you for the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection and the life. And our life in victory. We thank you for the victory. Even our faith. We praise you and honor you today. And Father as we celebrate. Communion today. We remember. We remember all these things. In the last uh, few days of Jesus life on earth here in the flesh. We, we remember all the things that happened from the cross to the throne. We remember all the things that he did in his life. And Father, we thank you for the ability to study this, to know it, to get it in our heart, so that greater works can be done by his body upon this earth. We honor you today. We bless you and we thank you.
We give you all the thanks, praise, honor, and glory that's rightfully yours. In the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.